thank you for joining us for the PEPCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 21 of 2021, and spring is finally starting to show up here in Northern California. In fact, I think it hit 57 degrees Fahrenheit today. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have Duke Silver. What's up, everyone? Uh, does anyone have a jacket I can borrow? It's uh, 97 here in Arizona, and I'm freezing. You know, you can't sh- shovel the sunshine, but, you know, jokes aside, I think we just leapfrog the whole, like, hey, let's just go from winter right to, to Satan's air conditioner. No, sp- no, no fall, or I'm sorry, no spring whatsoever. And the very well-traveled for a pandemic, Glenn Medina, coming straight out of Seattle. Hey everyone, welcome and thank you for joining us. Happy to be back for podcast number nine. Love this time of the year, it's my favorite. Uh, we are in spring uh, and the sun is starting to set later and later. Happy to be here in Seattle uh, this week for a couple of days away from the, the family in California and having a good time. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back relax, and enjoy the show. As a programming note, next week is episode 10 of the PEPCAC podcast, and for our 10th episode, we're planning something special, so be sure to tune in next week. Now, I know the two of you have traveled via airplane since the pandemic started. The last time I set foot on a plane was last February, which is actually the last time I saw both of you in person. So why don't you guys tell me, how have the airports been, and what's your experience been like? Yeah, it's uh, not bad. Uh, the first time, the first time I traveled about two weeks ago on a flight to LA, it was pretty quiet at the airport. Uh, but this last trip uh, that I took yesterday morning, the plane was pretty full. I flew on a seven thirty seven Max. Uh-oh. Yes, the Max is flying, folks. Uh, scary. Uh, but uh, was told as the uh, the I was looking at the label on the plane and it said 737 Max B. <laughs> so as long as I guess it's not the A version, it's okay. Uh, a little busy, but again, it was a great time, no issues at all. But uh, it is, uh, I think it's starting to pick back up again. Yeah, thank God you were on version two of the plane. Yeah, for me, uh, I guess the thing that kind of stuck out was a lot of restaurants inside the airports, at least in Phoenix, they were closed. Uh, lots of visible threats to you know wear your mask correctly and to social distance, but uh, nobody, at least in Phoenix, was actually wearing their mask correctly, in my opinion. And social distancing was like th- that doesn't exist, right? Like whatever. And then when you got on the plane, we we flew Southwest, so uh, they are back to full capacity. There is no social distancing in the seats, and so they just kind of you know politely ask about seventeen thousand times to keep your mask on and then to you know, take a bite of a peanut or whatever they give out nowadays, a pretzel or get a drink of water to mask up in between bites. So that was kind of interesting. And and then also the the threat of, if you don't do it, we'll kick you off the plane. And I was just like, I brought my own parachute. How's this work? <laughs> so I think one of the things like we talked about last time on, on the podcast about you know, when Home Depot got breached or Target got breached and I was saying, well, that, that's actually the safest time to shop at those places because they're super secure. So, so Glenn, for you, I think this is probably the safest time to fly in a 737 MAX because of how much scrutiny they were put through. So that's that's another way to look at it. Yeah, but it could be the other side, too, where they were just rushing to get things fixed. And 
they just passed because they were being lenient on the testing cycles. So depends which way you look at it. But it was a safe flight nonetheless. So the glass is always half full with Glenn Medina, everyone. <laughs> uh, that's right. <laughs> well, I'm glad you made it there safely, and I wish you a uh, safe travel home. Thanks, Chris. All right, for our first topic, I'm going to call this a sheep in wolf's clothing. An interesting concept to me has been the cat and mouse game that security researchers play with the malware authors. When security researchers, they build a tool to detect and block an attack, the malware authors find a way to circumvent that newly created security control. For example, a sandbox is a common security tool used to determine if a previously unknown file is benign or malicious. There's no known signature for it. There's no known threat for that. The file is sent to a virtual environment and run. If the file attempts to steal information or encrypt the file system, such as in the case with ransomware, it is done so in a controlled environment and not on the corporate network or the user's local machine. Well, malware authors got smart about that and started creating their malware to look for signs that is in a sandbox, such as the lack of 3D hardware acceleration or the lack of USB peripherals plugged into the device. If the malware detects it's in a sandbox environment, it will not invoke its malicious payload so it can remain undetected to the security researchers. Using that paranoia against malware authors led Brian Krebs to recommend a trick to thwart common malware such as ransomware. Installing the Russian or Ukrainian language keyboard on your Windows machine may actually stop ransomware from launching even if a user downloads a malicious file. That is because many Eastern European ransomware gangs, they have an understanding with Russia and the other cis nations, which are the Commonwealth of Independent States, who are former Soviet republics, that they're basically allowed to operate with impunity so long as they don't attack Russia or its allies. So let's talk about this. If I install the keyboard driver, I'm not going to get attacked. That's a pretty genius there. I may have to think about do that. And th that may be a good test, right, Chris, to see if that would take effect. Yeah, you go first, Glenn, and let us know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> we have a plethora of malicious URLs. Yeah. Uh, like this sounds like sketch a little bit to me. Like uh, it's hard to believe. Yeah. And then I say that because I feel like checking for 3d acceleration or hardware accelerated stuff usb peripherals like that's all like the the standard traits of like malware and, and what is checking to see if it's in a virtualized environment so that sounds like kind of old school but i guess it's a different way of looking at it but not to diminish anything that brian krebs is saying but uh, i would like to see this in uh in action for sure yeah I, I know like for instance in some sandbox environments i've worked with some sandbox technologies where they'll even do time acceleration um and I, I, I never understood that piece, but the fact that it's able to detect, you know, ghost mouse, ghost mouse moves and all that, you know, all the other things that are associated with making pretend that it's actually in an environment is interesting. Uh, but like I said, I, I, I've got to go test this now. I got to go figure out how we can get test this. Maybe Chris, we can talk to one of the guys in our threat research team and see what they think about this. Right. Because like you said, sandbox evasion techniques, they're not new. Things like time acceleration, or they wait for you to reboot three times, or they make you click in an empty white space in a Word document before it actually launches its payload. So, so that's not necessarily new. 
and you know other ways that malware looks for the presence of a sandbox is do you have you know virtual box installed do you have drivers that are associated with with virtual box installed and if so they believe they're in a virtualized environment and they they won't run so that's that's another common way is just install virtual box on your machines and malware will think it's in a virtual environment when it's not and those are some of the other ways that people have said they can potentially inoculate their machines from from ransomware that that specifically looks for those things that believe they're in a sandboxed environment i wonder if they've ever considered like techniques of like turning on the camera and just seeing if the user's on zoom for eight hours a day like us right if i was <laughs> if i was the guy that's writing and be like that's exactly that is my clientele baby who i'm looking for the people that are brain dead from sitting in meetings all day long yeah, that that make a pretty attractive target. Then, if you if you can determine you know who's who's doing that, then that would that would definitely be a target rich environment. Hey, what about the the honor amongst thieves? I'm still I'm still on this keyboard thing, right? It's like honor amongst thieves. They they promise not to hack each other if they have this secret handshake, and that handshake is the drivers for uh, the CIS. Uh, you know, you know whatever, right? The keyboard keyboard your Russian Ukrainian language keyboard drivers. Uh, that's funny. I, I think it's Don't funny. You, doesn't everyone install all their keyboard drivers? Or am I you know, I'm just kidding. I don't know. It's like, you know, fool me <laughs> once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. I don't know. Like I'm not falling for this Krebs. <laughs> and and glad I, we'll see. And glad I think you, you bring up a good point of what is this 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 honor among thieves? And I, I think it's in almost unspoken rule that these ransomware crews, they can operate within uh, certain countries or certain regions, you know, as long as they don't, you know, attack your Russia or, or Russia or, or its allies. And, and that's part of the reason that the ransomware scourge, it won't go away. And it's, it's not going anywhere because we have this new coalition, uh, two podcasts ago, we talked about this new coalition that's trying to go after these ransomware crews. And we have the U.S., we have the U.K., we have the Euro pool, but what's noticeably missing is participation from like like Russia and China, and these are the primary purveyors of, of ransomware in addition to you know, Syria and Iran and the like, and they're they're not joining this this coalition. And and a lot of the times, these countries that have these ransomware gangs in them, they will not extradite their citizens for this exact reason, is because they the people that are generating this ransomware and just spreading it all over the place, they might actually work for the state and they might be, you know, they might have their day job of hacking on behalf of one of these nation states and their night job is to just ransomware everybody and make some extra money that way. And these, these countries will just, you know, refuse to extradite these people. And uh, until we get people in handcuffs and putting them in jail, uh, this ransomware scourge probably isn't going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, but imagine that. So I'm, I'm putting myself in the in the uh, I, the the head of an attacker coming out of Russia, and I forget. I, I I build malware, and I forgot. I forget to check to see if there's a keyboard um, language support, and then I accidentally unleash this upon um, you know, within in country, right? Is the is this like the yakuza where they you know they cut a finger off, or if you you know you did this to your team and all, or or you just disappear. Like I said, I'm, I'm still laughing about this and in, internally going, God, what is the punishment for, for, for hacking against your own country? 
Can you imagine Putin like just being livid? He's like, I thought I could install this. Get me Brian Deitch's head on a plate. <laughs> I can't imagine he's nice about it. I think the technical term is getting vanned. Like you just get thrown in a van and that's the last anybody ever hears from you. All right, on to our next topic. Uh, some interesting research from Recorded Future shows that in 2019, the China's People's Liberation Army, or commonly referred to as the PLA, that's their military intelligence wing. They purchase English language copies of security software from American, European, and Russian security companies. These companies are the who's who of AV software, from Kaspersky to Avira, McAfee, Norton, Sophos, Trend Micro, and the like. This is interesting since China banned the purchase of foreign AV software in 2014. The PLA purchased between 10 and 30 seats of the antivirus software, which likely leads to a few possible outcomes. Number one, they're examining how the AV software runs to look for, look for ways to circumvent the security controls. Number two, they want to see if these common AV software products will catch their latest malware without the need to upload it to VirusTotal and have it shared there for all time. Or number three, they're looking for possible supply chain attacks like we saw with Solar Winds. At my previous employer, we, we did this. We purchased competitive products to examine them and perform competitive intelligence on them. So this is not an uncommon practice. I'm just really surprised that the PLA posted their procurement documents on a public accessible website for the world to see, which is how this research got started. Yeah, I'm thinking supply chain, backdoor, or they're just going to try to create like a super malware, right? That can evade all virus detection and malware utilities that are out there. I mean, look at it. Like there's always like a catch rate across all different things, whether it's free or if it's paid, maybe that's what they're doing. Who knows? It's just odd. Uh, so I, I look at this from a different lens. Someone had to go out there with a credit card and go buy these. All these are publicly purchased, purchasable, right? So if you look at it, did they buy the the you know the commercial um, license or did they buy the end user license for these? And it's not like you, you can't pose as another company and buy thirty licenses of of what, any of these products. So again, it, like you said, Chris, interesting that they publicly posted this and who in their right mind would post this, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't look at China and say that they're a model of transparency of how their government operates. So, yeah, so I, I, I think it is a little unusual that they, they, they post this on a public website, unless it's a plant. Maybe, it's, maybe it is a plant and you know, it's, it's a red herring possibly. Uh, but, but Brian, when you, you say this can be possibly used for a supply chain attack, this this actually happened. And so the, the PLA purchased Trend Micro's AV software in 2019. And about a year later in, in 2020, there was a supply chain attack against Trend Micro uh, that was perpetrated by the PLA. So it's, con is it a coincidence that that happened? Is it, is it, was that done on purpose? I'll let you guys make the call. All I know is these probably like whoever did it from the PLA is probably getting bombarded with like spam messages, right? From whichever one of these things they use their credit card on. They're like, and they just can't opt out of all of the, uh, the newsletters and stuff. And they're probably pissed. 
Now, now they're just probably like innovating, right? Making new changes in the firewall uh, to block all the solicitations from U.S.-based companies now. All right. On to our third topic. The insurance company AXA is hit with a ransomware attack. Basically, the same day it announces it will no longer cover ransomware pay- payments in its cybersecurity insurance products. This made for some very funny headlines and had irony spilled all over it. But this has always been AXA's policy, mainly due to regional restrictions. So AXA had a policy, for example, in, in France, if, if they had a cybersecurity insurance policy that they covered in France, uh, they would not pay the ransom. But now they have a formal policy, and it just comes as the timing is quite ironic that they get hit with the ransomware attack as soon as they say we're not going to pay. Can you imagine being like the, the CISO of AXA and be like, oh, God, I got to update my LinkedIn profile saying I'm looking for new jobs now right after this happens. <laughs> well, it, normally, though, there's a there, there's a parent company, all this, right, that, that takes on all the contracts, right? There's It's not typically how insurance companies work. They kind of farm, you know, they, they, they farm their contracts together and they farm them out um, to, a, I guess, to what they call an underwriter, right? from that standpoint so it'd be interesting to see like how did that how what's the underwriting on that from their from their standpoint completely different topic to this but when you say about like underwriters and whatever i have a a family friend they've been like our insurance agent forever and like all insurance agents whatever it may be like we'll, we'll pick on state farm right if you have your own office it's not like that i don't know about state farm per se but the company that this lady works for it's like, yeah, you just you know, get your local internet and we'll get you VPN credentials and then you just kind of sign in. That way you can do your quoting and, and all that good stuff. And that has to be a nightmare to troubleshoot if you're the, the provider for the services there that are being rendered, right? Like not only from like a ransomware like endpoint, but like how on earth do you measure the experience for the user? Like, hey, the, the network sucks. Like, well, it's not our network, right? Like it's uh, do you have Wi-Fi there? Like, are you physically plugged in? I got to think that's got to be a nightmare. So I'm curious if you guys know of any like insurance agencies, like how do they deal with independent, you know, I guess, underwriters that roll up underneath a, a bigger company? I think they usually get a kit when you sign up as an agent with a, an insurance company. They usually give you a kit, which would come with like a standard issue laptop and some standard equipment. And those those laptops should have like their their Goldman image baked in, so hopefully they have all the security that the agency uh, requires. But I, I don't think it's as BYOD as as you might think. The one that I'm at was a little bit BYOD, right? Like it's literally uh, Citrix endpoint that they 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 VDI right into in play. So that just that, that like I'm just sitting there looking at this like oh my god, like if someone broke in, like what? Like physical security to this agency. Oh my gosh, that that alone has me panicked. I don't, I don't know what you guys are doing because I've never, I haven't dealt with an insurance agent in God twenty years. So, but I, yeah, I, I use a company called USAA uh, ever since I was in the military and been been really great. I've never met anyone over there because there's it's all phone calls. But uh, great great insurance company. Uh, great if you've got military background it's pretty cheap but i have yet to see any agents anywhere and they're all office i think from home so 
and everything that I've done is all automated. So I, I, I doubt I even really talk to an agent unless I need to file a claim on something. So yeah, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. You don't have to talk to him too often. Oh God, thank goodness. Knock on wood. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and on the topic of, of cybersecurity insurance, I, I think we can attribute at least partially the scourge of ransomware that's been going on in the world for the last couple of years. And I think the insurance company do bear part of the blame here because insurance companies are keeping ransomware profitable. That there are some ransomware crews out there. We talked about Darkside last week and how they have this code of ethics. They're not going to attack healthcare. They're not going to attack uh, governments. But there are some ransomware crews out there, when they're inside the network, they're gathering data, they're performing the reconnaissance. And one of the things they look for are cybersecurity insurance policies. When they eventually ransomware the organization, they come to the table and they say, we know you have cybersecurity insurance and you are insured up to call it $2 million. Therefore, our demand from you is $2 million. And then when the Inevitably, the company says, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we can't pay. We can't pay. And then the ransomware crew will come back and say, nope, nope, we have this document, your declarations page of your insurance policy that says you are insured against cyber attack for $2 million. So pay up. And then inevitably for the insurance company, it's, it might be cheaper to pay out the $2 million than to rebuild the company from, from scratch. And that keeps ransomware profitable. So crime does pay partially thanks to these cybersecurity insurance uh, policies. Hey, Chris, do you think uh, insurance or uh, cyber insurance covers um, incompetence? Because, <laughs> you know, like take the TransUnion or, you know, the, 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 the user ID and passwords admin admin on, on several servers, right? So I don't know if it was TransUnion, but let's say a, a, a company got breached. And it's because of their own incompetence where they didn't change the default password on their equipment or they didn't upgrade uh, up to a certain version or because they haven't, you know, refreshed their hardware in quite some time. Do you think insurance have the right, insurance companies have the right to go back and go, no, we're not paying that. You're just plain stupid. It depends on the policy and it depends a lot on the clauses because there are clauses that say we don't cover in the cases of gross negligence. Well, What's gross negligence? There, there is a legal definition of, of gross negligence, and it's up to the insurance and the courts to decide, did having the password of admin admin, uh, did that meet the standard for gross negligence? And it, it's not unheard of for insurance companies to try to get out of paying these claims when a NotPetya hit, that, that ransomware that took off, that, that really took off and knocked a lot of companies offline. Uh, the, the food company, Mondelez, said, you know, we're covered for cyber attack. You guys got to pay us. And the insurance company said, wait, 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 no, no, no. There's a clause in our insurance contract that says we do not have to pay out in an act of war if the outage happened due to an act of war. Now it's up to the courts to decide, was not Petia an act of war? Not for us to decide, it's for the courts to decide. But, but yeah, the, there is a lot of uh, litigation and arguing back and forth between the insurance companies and the companies that buy these these policies. I think the uh, the cybersecurity insurance is something that they they almost like have to have, but filing a, a, a claim is a completely different thing, right? 
and I, and I say this because uh, back in the day, my my dad he had a, uh, like a used car dealership, and you had to carry like insurance to to do your thing. And one day, some car that he bought like just spontaneously caught on fire, and so he went to actually file a claim. They're like, well, "We're happy to pay out the claim, but just know we're going to drop you, right? And then good luck finding another insurance." And lo and behold, it was true. Like he started shopping around. They're like, "Yeah, if this happens, we're just not, you're un- uninsurable." So I almost think like people might carry cybersecurity insurance, but they with no intention on ever using it, right? Just to kind of either make the business happy or something like that. And then a secondary thing that I wanted to follow up with you guys on, the last two weeks, it has been insane. The number one topic with customers is ransomware. Are you guys seeing the same thing? Like people want to talk about the protections against that? Or is it, am I just like a unicorn over here with like seven meetings all you know surrounded in sandboxing and ransomware? It's definitely a conversation that's been ongoing, I think, with with how ransomware has been in the news and especially with the very, very high profile case that we talked about last week at the dark side and, and Colonial Pipeline. It is becoming top of mind for a lot of people right now, and it's it wouldn't be uncommon for some really big event like that to spark some of those conversations. Yeah, I agree, Chris and, and Brian. Yeah, I, I I think the the discussions are starting to be clearer. Definitely, the discussions about you know SSL decryption should I shouldn't I right as you as you noted in one of our you know, I think the last podcast we had like when you go in and you tell people if you're not doing it you might as well just turn you know just turn your computer on or leave your computer on and just let them steal everything from you, right? So, um, but yeah, the, the discussions are continuing. On to our last topic. Our last topic is going to be a rotating segment every week. And this week's topic is, if you are not working in tech or IT, what would you be doing? For me, I think I would likely be working at some some NGO, a non-governmental organization, as a policy fellow. Uh, for my undergraduate studies, I majored in international relations. If anyone's looked at my LinkedIn profile, you might you might already know that. But I think I'd probably be working for some kind of NGO writing policy for a think tank. Boring. What the heck, dude? Yeah, yeah, come on, Chris. You were supposed to be a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I look at this two ways. Um, If you if you go if I rewind the clock back 20 years for me, I, I was on my way to being a dentist, believe it or not. Uh, it was a, I was in the military. I was a dental hygienist. I had a background in um, oral maxillofacial surgery. I was actually certified. I was a certified surgical assistant um, and had applied to, to go back into the military, get my degree, and then from there go to dental school. Um, thank goodness I didn't do that because I'm having way more fun now hanging out with you two than, than, uh, than, 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 uh, working on teeth. Um, but if I am looking forward and, and, and forward, I mean like towards retirement and future, uh, I, I would love the job that just screws with people. So, and not just any job, it'd be the job that like everyone looks down on, not necessarily look down on, but just just like who are you like why are you checking my stuff so the guy at costco or walmart that checks receipts and counts them it's like apparently i have like 50 items in here or five items there are two items 
but you still want to check my cart and you still want to check my receipt. And I would try and sit there and, and I would sit there and actually like count like every single item that crossed and and get a line going that's 10, 20 people deep and see how mad I can get people and have them cursing at me and just go, it's my job. <laughs> so, but then again, I like to people watch as well. So it's, it's, I think that would be totally hilarious just to be getting there and like, hey, just give that, uh, that, uh, hey, I'm doing my job as best as I can, leave me alone. So, so two things on that, Glenn. First, like the dentist thing, like, I can't go to the dentist and see pictures of other people's teeth and mouth without getting violently ill. Like I just, I was like, yeah, there's like a, there's gotta be a better way to make money. Right. And the second thing I can semi relate or semi relate with you on the whole, like screwing with people. One time we were coming back from an auction, me and a buddy, and we were driving separate cars that we had bought and taking it back to the dealership. And we decided that we were going to go down the, the U S 60, uh, when it got to the divided highway, at 35 miles per hour when it's supposed to be 65 and we had a line of cars like 20 miles deep <laughs> as we were going back to our hometown and then eventually got pulled over and cited but whatever you know that is what it is yeah hey what about this one though have you guys ever like worn a red t-shirt and tan pants walking around target and see if anyone comes up to you and asks you for information I actually go out of my way to not wear red at Target because I don't want people approaching me. But that actually happened. When, remember when Blockbuster was still a thing? And I had a, a yellow and blue jacket. And not knowing I was wearing this yellow and blue jacket, I walked into Blockbuster. And sure enough, I had people coming up and say, oh, do you have this movie in stock? Oh, do you have that movie in stock? I'm like, sorry, sorry, I don't work here. Yeah, see, I would have thought you would have helped them uh, out, Chris. Yeah, but like, oh, yeah, it's on it's on aisle two <laughs> around the corner on the end, on the end cap. <laughs> right behind the toilet, guys. <laughs> We actually, we were, we were traveling. My daughter had wore, uh, we went into our target and she was wearing like a red shirt with tan pants. And so I was like, I will pay you 20 bucks to go over there and greet people as they're walking in. And she did it. Man, she was hungry for that $20, but it, it was, it was so funny. We have videos of it too. I'll have to share it out with you guys. All right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's fun. I think it's fun. Just people watching and screwing with people. Now, screwing with people in the way that's in a good way, right? Kind of joking, like, hey, have you seen this product? Uh, yeah, it's it's on the other side of the store. <laughs> so, it's funny, as long as there's no victims. That's right. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't Brian. know. Pff, an alternative job? Ninja? Is that an option? Maybe mayor of Nike Town? Uh, I mean, if I was in it for just the money, joking aside, maybe anesthesiologist? Uh, I think that would be kind of a, a cool job. Like, I mean, the downside is if you mess up, people die. So I have to be able to sleep with that. Um, but if I'm like you and I'm looking forward towards the future, I joke and say, like, you know, when it comes time to do retirement, like, I would like to not work at all. But I'm also kind of cheap. Like, I feel like if I take an early retirement, like 55 or something, that I will want to refuse to pay for medical insurance. Like, that, that, that idea just makes me want to vomit in my mouth. So I can see myself working at a... Uh, in the produce section at my local store, just something like brain dead, don't have to really do anything. Just like, where's lettuce? Just kind of point and grunts over there. You know what I mean? Just you know, kind of vibe out and have a good day. That's probably what I would do at this stage of my life. There you go. What about you, Chris? Can I change my, can I change my answer? I, I would be a World of Warcraft guild leader <laughs> if I didn't have to work in tech. Does that count? That might count as tech. 
Well, yeah. now you sound like the kids, right? Oh, what do you do for a living? YouTube, um, you know, a sensation, right? Uh, a social media Instagram giant. model. Instagram, yeah. Uh, Influencer. Yeah. In, in, yeah. Or, or a, was it eSports? Um, eSports yeah. guy? eSports person? What, what I mean, that? I yeah. wasn't going to be a male I, model. An athlete. <laughs> do you call them athletes e-sport athletes do you call them athletes when i don't know careful you're treading a, a fine line here you might upset somebody i know i'm sorry i apologize to any esports people out they, there they are athletes in my mind if you've ever watched a uh, a gsl final like the global starcraft league i mean it is insane what some of these people can do yeah agree well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, it's my turn. One slice of apple pie will cost you $2.45 in Jamaica. A slice of apple pie costs $3.75 in Trinidad. And the same slice costs $4.44 in Barbados. And those are the pie rates of the Caribbean. Ah. Uh, you know, I feel like I just learned something. I didn't know that Trinidad was a... Uh, uh in the Caribbean. I had no idea. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Chris. Shout out to John and Sarah on that one. Thank you for the, uh, the fan mail. We have fan mail. No way. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome, Chris. <laughs> All right. To wrap things up, people can inoculate themselves against some forms of ransomware by installing the Russian keyboard. China is buying foreign AV software for dubious reasons. Insurance company AXA is hit with ransomware after it says they will no longer pay out ransomware payments in some regions. And the hosts reveal what they would be doing if we didn't work in tech. And Glenn really likes to troll people. That's all we have for this week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. And just so you know, the number of likes you'll get on your social media just went up by 20% by listening to this podcast. If you know anyone else who would like a 20% increase in likes, please share this podcast with them. The best way to find us is to search for the PetCac Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We'll see you all next week, and as always, have a nice day. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one.